I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. That's the nicest introduction I think I've ever had. Even, <laughs> even if I was called a granddad, I'm, I'm all right with that. Uh, it is so good to be at the point with y'all today. Y'all are the point. It's so good to be with you, uh, the point church today. Um, <laughs> I'm just still getting over one of the songs we sang, and Tim referred to it in his prayer. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. You know, Becky and I have been serving the Florida Baptist Convention for about 20 years now, and uh, about eight, nine years ago, Dr. Green said, Lewis would love for you to go back out to the Panhandle and serve. Well, we grew up here. I know my accent gives me away. You thought I was from the north or somewhere, but <laughs> truth of the matter is this is home for us. And uh, so to get to come back here and serve, and as Tim said, we've known each other for a long time, and I thank the Lord for the relationships that God has allowed. If I was not allowed the privilege to serve in the capacity that I get to serve, I would not have been as blessed as I am to have experienced so many wonderful pastors across not only the West region, which is the central time zone of Florida, but also uh, just all across this state and nation. Enough about all that. I'll get my little act together here, maybe. I want to tell you, uh, for, first I want to say thank you, Tim and Missy, for having us here today and the staff here. You have a wonderful team here at the Point Church. <laughs> we had to coax that out of some of you, didn't we? But that's all right. That's all right. I still think you have a wonderful team here. I hope, I'm glad more, some of you at least uh, felt that way. Uh, uh, I'm also happy to know I'm a friend of God, but I'm also a friend of John Vickers. Did y'all hear that announcement? I was so glad to hear him say, good to have my friend Lewis Miller here today. I said, hey, all right. Uh, and we're praying for him as he's at the Jackson campus today. I want to tell you about an opportunity that's coming up, and please forgive my shameless promotion. This is a first ever conference for me for us as Florida Baptists, and it's a partnership that we've entered into with Johnny and Friends. Some of you may know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, and uh, we're calling it a Biblical Care Disability Conference. It'll take place August the 19th at uh, Woodlawn Baptist Church in Crestview. Uh, they're graciously hosting this event. I brought some brochures if you want, and I'm just put them up here and would love for you to take one of these and, and come join us. Uh, we're going to try to learn better how to reach everybody in our community. There's a huge, I heard the lady from Johnny and Friends say to me the other day, in Florida, one out of three families is impacted by disability. And so when I heard that, I thought in all of our communities, it doesn't matter which part of the panhandle you're from, there are people with needs. And what I know about you, our churches, is that it's not that you don't care about them. Many of us feel like we're not prepared or equipped to care for them. So I said, okay, well, Lord, I can't fix anybody's heart, but I can provide an opportunity for us to get equipped and learn from some people who know a whole lot more than I do 
about ministering to people with disabilities. Our guest speaker, our plenary speaker, is a guy named Dan Hall. You got to come here. If you don't, anything else, just come hear Dan's story. Uh, effective, successful pastor. Anyway, uh, quadriplegic today. Was not for most of his life in ministry. I just want you to come join us. It's going to be a great time. August 19th. Yes, that's a Saturday. And I did check the football schedule. There's no college football games that day. So you're free. You can come. You can actually learn and grow and be blessed. Nine to three on that Saturday. I hope you'll be there. If you brought a Bible, open it to Psalm 71. I want us to talk a little today about our faithful father. We've already focused on him. If you haven't focused on our faithful father to this point, I don't know how you missed it. But we've been singing about him. Uh, how I, I, We're saying that song, How Marvelous. When with the ransomed in glory, his face, Jesus' face, at last I will see. And then you said this. I hope I, we're just doing a quick hymn pop test here. I know you weren't prepared for it, but his face I at last shall see. And then you said, Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Whew. How marvelous, right? Oh my, I'm scared. The psalmist says, <clears throat> In Psalm 71, yeah, I, I read this psalm and I thought, Lord, you wrote this psalm for me. Thank you. <laughs> as, we're, as we get older sometimes with the challenges of our day, it's, it's possible from time to time, and you probably don't struggle with this, but every now and you may think, you know, gosh, I'm not really good for much anymore. You know, uh, sometimes I meet older folks that sort of have that attitude. And the best way for, I think, for us to combat that kind of thinking is to do as the psalmist does in this psalm and shift the focus from our strength and our wisdom to what we've seen and come to know as true from our faithful father, right? So let's get the focus off of us and our abilities or inabilities, our strength or our non-strength or whatever, and focus on our faithful father. So let me start our sermon time with just a question. What story of God's faithfulness could you share if I asked you what story of God's faithfulness, and I'm asking you a non-rhetorical question, meaning I would love for somebody to tell me what's something you hold on to that expresses to you God's faithfulness to you, a scripture, a story. We don't have time for your whole testimony, but give us a word, somebody. What's one story, one scripture, one thought that you hold on to that helps you remember God's faithfulness? All right. Yes, ma'am. Hang on, hang on. Say it again. Amen. Love and a sound mind. Amen. God is not good. So when we're overcome with a spirit of fear, we automatically say to ourselves, whoa, 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 whoa. It's in from God, right? Because he's not given us a spirit of fear. Somebody said John 14, 23 over here. Who was that? Yes, sir. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> Father, Son, and the Spirit, all three in one in us. And it's funny because he says, you know, the Scripture says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Seems like a foreign thought, doesn't it? We got any parents in the room? Huh? <laughs> you, you say that to your kid. If you love me, you just do what I ask you to do, right? <laughs> it's not so foreign a thought, is it? 
Not so unusual a thought, is it? Somebody else. And one more, uh, uh, a, an expression of God's faithfulness to you. Maybe a verse, a thought, a phrase. In Psalm 121, give us a little elaboration. My help comes from the Lord, right? Amen. Psalm 121, that's a good one. Yeah. See, the psalmist shares with us in this text I want us to look at. And we're just going to look at two verses out of this whole psalm. They're so, so rich. But he shares with us his praise for God and a prayer. And I want us to see that in these two verses. Look at Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. And here's what it says. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to Lewis's age, even to old age and nowhere, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power, your might, your power, right? Not my might, not my power. It's his power. So from these verses, I want us to consider three things, you know, typical Baptist preacher sermon, right? Here we go. And they're even alliterated for you. Maybe you can remember uh, the psalmist's remembrance, the psalmist's request, and the psalmist's renewal. Let's jump in. The psalmist remembers. He starts out by remembering some things. As you get older, some of you are not there yet, you'll realize, oh, yeah, we do a lot more remembering, don't we? So the psalmist is remembering a firm foundation. Look there in verse 17. Oh, God, from my youth you have taught me. Since I was just a whippersnapper, you were teaching me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. The praise of the psalmist stems from a childhood of learning and teaching that God is faithful. We see this if you look in the same psalm back up in verses 5 and 6. For you, O Lord, are my hope and my trust, right? I am, I, my hope is tied up in God. My trust is in God fully. O Lord, from my youth upon you I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. See, a firm foundation of faith is laid best early in a child's life, right? You with me? See, and, and, and so I say to us as parents, to us as grandparents, teach your children, lay that foundation. And, and you may be thinking, how do we do that? Well, let's look at Paul's example to his son in the faith, Timothy, from 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first where? In your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. <laughs> and now I am sure dwells in you. Now, I want you to notice two words in this, this verse, sincere faith. What's the difference in just faith <laughs> and sincere faith? Well, sincere faith lives it. Hello? You, you know some people that claim to have faith, and then you saw them on Tuesday at the grocery store or Friday at the liquor store, I mean uh, somewhere else, right? <laughs> right? Sincere faith lives it. Sincere faith speaks it. Well, I'm just wearing my Jesus T-shirt trying to be a witness. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. <laughs> but every now and then, speak it, right? Tell somebody your story. Tell them about 
Jesus. So sincere faith lives it, speaks it, discusses it. <laughs> oh, no, they may ask me a question I can't answer. Good news. I got help for you. When you don't know the answer, here's what you say. I don't know. That's what you say. I'll look it up with you. We'll figure it out together. I still don't know everything. Shocking, <laughs> right? I mean, the reality is none of us do. Can I get an amen to that? Some of y'all all ought to amen that. Honey, poke your wife or husband. Your baby, he's talking to you, right? I mean, we don't know it all. So what do we do? We discuss. We look for opportunities in our daily lives with our children, with our grandchildren, to help them see God at work in your life and in their lives. Help them see it. It doesn't come to them naturally to see and be aware of. <laughs> we have an adopted granddaughter. And one day, one of our uh, younger grandsons was saying to me, Papa, why is the sky blue? And without hesitation, I said to him, because God made it that way. And our adoptive granddaughter said, is that your answer for everything you can't explain? <laughs> I said to her, no. That's my explanation of why the sky is blue. I don't have to explain it. <laughs> Shoot, I can't explain to you how that car works out there. doesn't mean I'm going to quit driving it until I can. Right? <laughs> I have a sincere faith that God made the sky blue. And my grandson asked me a question. I answered his question. It's sincere faith. We've got to teach our kids, help them realize not only that God's working in their lives, but help them to embrace their value to both Him and to you. Do you value your, We love to trash our kids, don't we? Little rug rats, little curtain climbers, I tell you what. You know, we love to give our kids a hard time, right? But do we really treasure them? Do we really realize you're training up the next generation? <laughs> oh, yeah, parents, it's on you. Oh, snap. He's just putting pressure on us. I don't like that. God is the one. God is the one who's expecting of us as parents and grandparents. Oh, no, we retired now. We got an RV. It's, it's mom and daddy's job. Let them do it. No. You're not off the hook. Not, not if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, right? You've got a responsibility. Teach them. Lay that firm foundation of faith. Help them to embrace and understand who God created them to be. The psalmist speaks of firm foundational faith. And when we start with our children at a young age, laying that foundation of faith, it took me back to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where Moses challenged Israel. He said, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. See, there's the big challenge right out of the gate for us as mom and dad. These words have got to be on our heart first, and then... You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When, he's talking about dialogue. He's talking about conversation. He's talking about discussing the things of God. Well, I ain't no Bible thumper. I understand. You don't, good news. You don't have to be. You just have to love the Lord and His Word be deep in your heart and let it come out in conversation with your children, with your family. See, as you're doing life together, lay that firm foundation of faith in God. Now, maybe you're thinking, here, I hear some of you. I hear you. I didn't have no firm foundation with ice coming along. 
Nobody poured into me. I didn't learn about Jesus till I was 40 years old. Okay. It, just question. I'll push back a little. Isn't that all the more reason for us to ask God to help us lay the foundation in our children and grandchildren's lives? If we did not have it, and we now understand the value of it, isn't that all the more reason for us to pour into that next generation? The psalmist remembered his firm foundation of faith. But the second thing I want you to see is the psalmist request. What does he request in this psalm? In verse 18, his promised presence. That's what he requests. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. What is he saying? You know, people love to say, you know, the older you get, the wiser you get. I'm not convinced of that. <laughs> I'm getting older, <laughs> for sure. It's that second part of the phrase I'm not as convinced of. I've seen some real old people, didn't seem very wise. All I'm saying is he's saying here in this, in this verse, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not forsake me. Maybe he was reflecting back to the promise God made to Joshua. Can you imagine following Moses? Hey, guess what? You're up to lead Israel. Say, what? After who, Mo? You know Mo. I mean, the, the rod of God, boom, the Red Sea, right? I mean, you're going to follow that? That's you. Hey, good luck to you, buddy. You'll be a short-timer, right? No, what, is, what did God say to Joshua? In Joshua 1.5, just as I was with Moses, listen, so I will be with you. You don't, have, you don't have to live up to somebody else's expectation. Just remember, God is with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Oh, there's our, we'll hold on to that one, won't we? Joshua 1, 5, I, I'm not doing this life alone. God is with me. He is helping me. He's growing me. He's convicting me. He's changing me. Oh, Lord, help us walk close to you. And then I thought, well, maybe the psalmist was having a moment of aging inadequacy, something I'm more familiar with. <laughs> and he recalled the request of King David in Psalm 51, where David said, cast me not away from your presence. Why did David say that? Why would he say he was the greatest king Israel ever had? Because he messed up. Anybody in here messed up? Yeah, let me get both my hands up on that one, right? We've all messed up. We've all made bad choices, bad decisions, taken the wrong turn, said something we wished we hadn't. And in his brokenness, David said, cast me not away from your presence. And please don't take your Holy Spirit from me, right? Why? But the presence of God brings a peace you can't explain, right? The presence of God. At whatever age, we must remember our relationship with God is daily. It's daily. And it requires personal engagement with Him. I... I said this to a friend recently. I said, you know, I, it's funny how we are about having a personal relationship with God. You know, it, 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 just imagine, I mean, just for a minute, let's real quick. Ron DeSantis calls you. Hey, listen, I uh, want to check in with you each morning, if we could, about 4.30, and uh, just kind of get an update on Perdido and the area and how things are going. Uh, would you mind setting an appointment with me? It won't take 10, 15 minutes, maybe. Just kind of get an update from you and hear how... 
Yes, sir, Mr. Governor, I'd be more than happy to do that. Call me anytime. Click. And then we just go mute about it, right? No. No, we're not going to be mute about that. You're going to find every friend, family member, anybody that'll listen to you. you never believe who called me the other day, O-R-D. Yeah. Me and him, buddy. We're like this. He's calling to check in with me, you know, at Perdido and see how things are going. And, you know, he's a man. He is a man. Like you're a man, woman or man. He's a person. And yet the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of everything around us says, hey, could I get a little time with you each day? And you go, hey, God, I mean, my schedule's busy. It's full. I got to get a shower and then breakfast and off to work. And Folks, priorities matter. This psalmist understood the presence of God is more important in my life than other appointments and things. <laughs> I'm going to start making sure I'm walking daily in His presence. And if we're honest, some days we do that better than others, don't we? But let's don't stop. I mean, how do we intentionally and personally engage with God? Because, see, as believers, we have the guarantee of God's presence in our life. You say, where do you find that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, thank you for asking, which says, uh-oh, there we go. There it is. He who has prepared us for this very thing, for this very relationship, us and God, is God who has given us the Spirit, my brother John 14, 23 over here, as a guarantee. What does that say to us? That does not say this is your license to sin, live any old way you want to. God's guaranteed you're going to get into heaven when you die. That is not what he's saying. What he is saying is, you have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee living inside you to help you, to convict you, to challenge you, to teach you, to grow you, to move you, to help you become, right? But what's it going to require from us? Because, see, I'm convinced God didn't create you a robot. AI is pretty incredible, does amazing things. You ain't AI, neither am I. We're the real eye. Some of us bigger eyes than others, but anyway, I wouldn't go there. <laughs> Reality is God Almighty, creator of everything, says, hey, Lewis, I, I, okay, y'all, just hang on a minute. Do you know, any of you know where Valparaiso, Florida is? I mean, Val P is, it's like the Mayberry of Florida that nobody ever knew about. That's where I grew up. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> no, <laughs> really and truly. Almighty God saw a guy down here in Valparaiso, Florida and said, I want that one. What? I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that kind of love. I don't serve that kind of grace. I don't deserve that kind of mercy. And yet he said, yep, 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 Lewis, I want you. Mm -hmm. You're going with me. I want you to live for me, speak for me, teach for me, be who I create you to be. Here's the good news. You don't have to be Lewis. God's already got one of them. What you do get to do is be you in Him. The very best you in Him as you rely on Him. That's a daily relationship based on the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in us. It's the seal of God's presence in our lives, transforming us, helping us. He not only helps us in this life, 
He's preparing us for eternal life, right? I mean, you stop and think about that. I, I meet people not here, but in other places where I go, I meet people, you know, I just like a small church. I just like, you know, where everybody knows everybody and they just love and family and small church. And I think to myself, they're going to be miserable in heaven. Right? I mean, heaven ain't going to be no little place. <laughs> there going to be millions of people there from generations, right? So for you small church folks, oh, Lord, get ready. You think this is a lot of folks. You haven't seen anything yet, right? I mean, stop and think about the way we think. <laughs> he wants us to grow. He wants us to be, do our very best in this life, but also be prepared for the life to come. One harsh reality of aging is that you're not as strong as you once were. And you realize maybe more readily your need for the presence of God, spiritually, mentally, physically. And that awareness challenges us to remain cognizant of the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding, convicting, so that we would become not only growing followers or fruitful followers, but also bold witnesses. So may our request daily be as that of this psalmist for God's promised presence. I don't think there's a day that goes by that Becky and I don't pray. God, make yourself aware. Make our kids aware of your presence in their lives. Help our grandkids be aware of your presence in their lives. See, God's all around them. He knows where they are. And they need to recognize him. So we see his remembrance, his request. And last, the, the psalmist renewal, to, and his renewal is to God, of course. <laughs> Duh. But what is his renewal? His renewal is his, what I'm calling his next-gen narrative. <laughs> his next-gen narrative. He says, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. <laughs> see, God's given us a message for this generation. Amen? God has given us a message. Well, you know, I don't really believe, Brother Lewis, most of this is poetry, and, and it's kind of, you know, just stories, and it's outdated. Friend, can I tell you, if that's your thoughts about this, I'm not sure where you're walking, but it's not with the Lord. This is the inerrant, infallible, living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, Word of God, able to transform our lives here and into eternity, right? So, so we need to declare, I believe God's given us a message for this generation. He, we have opportunities to proclaim God's might and His power to a generation, honestly, that knows little of who He is or His ability to meet their deepest needs. You know why some in the next generation aren't interested in church, I think? They've been here. Not here, because the point church is different. But I've been to a bunch of churches. One lady in one church gave a teenage young guy a tongue lashing because he came into church with a ball cap on. We don't wear ball caps in this church. What's wrong with you, son? Didn't your parents teach you no better than that? That guy will probably never, ever go to church again, and I'm not sure I'd blame him. If that's the love of Christ operating in us, right? God help us. Pay attention. <laughs> Becky and I visit almost a different church every Sunday. <laughs> yes, we are members of the Hub City Church in Crestview, Florida, but 
our tithe and our membership is there. That's about all. Because <laughs> almost every Sunday we're in another church. We'll go and, and, and what we honestly do when we come into a building, try to find where it doesn't seem like anybody has markers. You know what I mean by markers? You know, Bible, blanket, footstool. Because, buddy, if you sit on one of those places, oh, you're going to get the Baptist stare down. What are you doing sitting in our pew? Why are you on our chair? We don't even think about it. We're so in a rut. <laughs> this morning, Becky and I were walking out of a business, and I was focused on getting to the car, right? And this guy apparently was coming up this way behind me, and she was a little further back, and he cut around over this way, and Becky says, he cut you off, didn't he? Well, I turned around and looked and see who she's talking to. Well, there's that guy right there. I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even see you or hear you. And the minute I did that, I thought about, yeah, that's how we are in church. We come into our chair, sit in our place, and better not be nobody in that place. And if they are, we're going to give them the Baptist stare down, right? Instead of saying, what can I do to be aware of who maybe God has brought here that I could get to know so that I could have a gospel conversation with that person or just make them feel at home, right? I didn't even plan to say any of that. Okay, <laughs> see if I can find where I was in this sermon. <laughs> I just think we have opportunities to proclaim God's might and power to everyone who especially comes on our campus but also that lives in our community. I attended a conference in Nashville a while back and was reminded of the generational shift that's accelerating in our world. I, wanna, I, I think I have this on here, uh, some, some uh, generational shifts that are happening. I, I've listed a few generations up here, and I want you to notice the shift of those who identify as Christian by generation. I'm not believing for a minute that everybody that identified as Christian actually was Christian. The good news, I'm not in charge of judging. <laughs> God take care of that, okay? But I just make the observation of what they shared. <laughs> the silent generation, those born 1928 to 45, 84% of that generation identified as Christian. Whether they were or not, I don't know. But they identified. They said, yes, we are Christian followers of Jesus. The boomer generation, let's hear it for the boomers. Woo! Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's my group. 1946 to 64, at least three-fourths of us claim to acknowledge or identify as Christian. Then the Gen X 1965 to 1980 group, 67% identify as Christian. And millennials, 1981 to 1996, 49%. Do you see the direction this is going? And in their book, Flip the Script, Disrupting Tradition for the Sake of the Next Generation, Chuck Peters Jana Magruder and Stephanie Salvatore describe Gen Z. Gen Z is the group that was born 1997 to 2012, where less than 33% of them identify as Christian. One-third. <clears throat> and just a few observations about they don't identify themselves in only one way. Uh, they want to express personal truth, and they want to connect through different truth. These authors go on to give an understanding of today's worldview shaped primarily by what they call expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. In his book, The Fractured Republic, Yuval Levin defines this idea of expressive individualism. He said it suggests not only 
a desire to pursue one's own path, yeah, it's here, but also a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It is a drive both to be more like what you already are and also to live in a society or live in society by fully asserting who you are. I'm going to assert this on you, who I am, and the capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights, and it's given pride of place in our self-understanding. They continue on in their book by helping us understand this generation's not going to be able to hear what you have to say until they determine, are you trustworthy? Can I trust you? Hey, church, that's a clear word for us. Can this generation that only one-third identify as Christian, can they say of the Point Church and the people I know that go to Point Church, they're trustworthy. They're trustworthy people. It doesn't mean perfect. Don't hear me say, because by the way, if that was the case, we're all done, right? None of us are perfect. But we can be trustworthy. In in, uh, 2021, LifeWay Research asked uh, a group of people from America across the nation, what issues are important important to the American public? Notice the top four they had there. Uh, First was peace, (laughs) understandably. Hope, understandably. Third, purpose and fulfillment. And then coming in at number four, the certainty that I'll go to heaven. Which tells me how much, and maybe I'm misreading the research, but I have a concern that there's not much thought given to an eternal relationship. Life beyond this life. Or life in this life in some ways. Maybe if we help them with the first three we would prove ourselves trustworthy to have conversation about the fourth one, right? So if, if we hope to connect with and, and to reach Gen Z, here are at least a few approaches I think will help us. Number one, I think we should start by breaking down barriers to belonging. How can we, as the church in America, break down barriers so that people feel like they belong here? I stirred up a group of pastors one time and said, can a lost person play in your praise band? What? No, we can't have it. There's the people of God up there. They're representing our church. You know, okay, okay. Maybe that was too much. Can a lost person be a greeter in your parking lot? Well, yeah, ain't nothing wrong with that. Okay. All right. I mean, really and truly, where does a lost person fit in here? I mean, if you want them to feel at home, How do we do that? we got to break down some barriers and let them just belong. Well, we ain't letting them be members till we see. Okay, okay, calm down, take a breath. Just let them belong. Let them be a part of what God's doing here. See, belonging leads to opportunities for listening and learning. I do believe James was right when he said, be slow to speak and quick to listen. (laughs) I think God had something, I don't know if the word is rationally appropriate, in mind when he gave us two of these and one of these. It seems like the ratio is clear, right? So, so opportunities to belong leads to listening and learning. And as we teach foundational, foundational truths about God, that leads to even increased understanding, right? 
See, see, you can't, here's what I know. I know this is true, whether you agree with me or not. You teach this book to any group, and they cannot leave unchanged. Because you've just revealed truth to them, and they've got to decide, now what am I going to do with that? You're not in charge of their decision. You're in charge of the delivery of the truth that's been entrusted to you. So, as we, as we teach foundational truths about God, it leads them to an increased understanding. And then what happens? Number four, the gospel must be central in our lives and in our teaching, right? So, we, we're not just teaching like theories of man or I'm going to argue doctrine with you because I love doctrine. I'm an apologist and I'm going to... I ain't going to apologize for nothing. <laughs> I mean, we're just, we just, we Baptists love to argue. I, it's not going to help us. You're not going to win the argument. You need to know what you believe. Point them to the gospel because the gospel must be center of what we live and teach. Number five, true identity is gained when understanding that real identity is only found in Christ and in a personal daily relationship with Him. I think Tim read this a minute ago about it. We didn't love God first. He loved us first. So I would go all the way back to my wedding with Becky and say, when I told her I loved her that day, I don't think I understood what I was saying fully. Because, see, you don't understand love until you experience or receive the love of God, the love of Christ in you. And so we, we, we embrace that love, and in so doing, we find our identity in Him and that we're people of value. I got thinking about uh, this week and just about every day. I get an email. One of my very dear friends emails me every day. You know who they are? Office Depot. Yeah. They email me every day, and they always have my benefit in mind. They always want to save me money. Help me buy something I don't need. They love me. They email, communicate with me every day. Interesting, isn't it? What if we did that with each other? What if we did that with God? Communicate it every day. It changes the whole scenario, doesn't it? Changes everything. So we pursue that relationship with Christ and have, and that leads us into conversations, number six, with people so that they might open their lives to Christ, right? I mean, here's the thing. He didn't say, go and make disciples of you. He said, go and make disciples. Who are we supposed to make disciples of? Jesus. Now, I don't want you to be like me. Lord, help us. I don't want you to be like me. But I do want you to know the Jesus that's changing me every day, more than anything. Why? Because it's the best thing that's ever happened in my life, in this life and in the life to come. I want you to know Him. I want you to fall in love with Him. I want you to hunger and thirst for Him. <laughs> because when you do, He will fill you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will give you the peace that I enjoy. <laughs> oh, the confidence for everyday life. The result is a transformative power of the gospel. And then now what's happened me, a minister of reconciliation, I've just now brought on another brother. I've seen him give his life to Christ, and now he's become a minister of reconciliation with me, right? We're now partners 
in this kingdom endeavor. Well, no, you know, I work for IBM. I'm not really into all that. No, that's not your identity. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you may work for IBM, but your identity is ambassador for Christ at IBM, right? Okay, I got to hurry. I think my time is gone. Uh, so the psalmist's next-gen narrative was to proclaim God's might and power to another generation. And how you do this will greatly influence the kingdom's impact in this community and beyond and the transformation of many lives. I think your pastor, my friend, says, here's the bottom line. So let me give you the bottom line. Are we contributing to the next generation's understanding of God's might and power in our lives and His desire to provide the same for theirs? Or are we hindering that? And I can't answer that. You have to answer it. I, I, I just get to present the question. <laughs> I'm working on that in my life. You know, I said to somebody the other day, Luke 9.23 is one of my favorite verses. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him first deny himself, day, uh, deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm, I'm still working on number one, denying myself, right? So, so will we contribute to their understanding of God's might and power in our lives, but also he'll do the same for them. How would we help them embrace God's power and strength? Last two scriptures and we're done. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Listen to what he says. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. What is he saying? Live like you believe Jesus is holy. What kind of life would I live? Hmm? Holy. Not happy. Come on now. God doesn't care near as much about your happiness as he does your holiness. You with me? We don't need to be pursuing holiness. God, help me become like you. Well, I ain't no preacher and I ain't never going to be one. Nobody's asking you to. God's asking you to be a holy follower, son or daughter of his. Peter says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared. That sounds like we read something ahead of time, doesn't it? We were ready. We were schooled up. We were ready to have the conversation about what? To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I love the last phrase for us Baptists, yet do it with gentleness and respect. <laughs> I've known some Baptist buddies of mine. They'll be talking to a guy, you better turn, you're going to burn. I mean, they'll pin him to the wall, right? Are you kidding me? Do it with gentleness and respect. Matthew 7, 12, Jesus said, treat others as you want them to treat you, right? If you know the answer and somebody else you're in relationship with doesn't, it's not going to help them for you to say, I know what you need. I know what you... That doesn't help anything, right? No, in gentleness and respect, try to communicate what they need. The love of Christ. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, I'm confident of this. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So speak the truth with gentleness and respect for all people. Remember, remember, church, 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 remember, their response to the gospel is not your role. You are to be faithful witnesses, not prosecuting attorneys. Are you hearing me? 
Faithful witnesses only tell what they know. You don't have to win the case, but you do have to be a faithful witness. We must focus on faithful obedience, telling the gospel and our story as witnesses, and God will bring to completion the work that he started. So let me ask you, and I'll end. Where are you today? I know where you are physically, geographically, but where are you spiritually? Are you walking in relationship with Jesus? Do you have that firm foundation kind of faith that the psalmist talked about? Faith in, in God, faith in a relationship with Jesus? Or have you been hanging out up at the clubhouse hoping everybody thinks you're a club member? You know what I mean by that? Is that too sarcastic? I'm sorry, my dominant spiritual gift seems to be sarcasm. But really and truly, sometimes it's like we think I'll go hang out up at the church building and everybody will think I am a Christian. It, it, can I just free you up on a couple of things? It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter. What do you know to be true in you? And what does he know about you? The two of you need to talk. Forget all the rest of us. You and him talk. Lord, this crazy preacher, Pastor Tim Lethav, come into this church today, said, I'm a sinner. I think he may be on to something. So, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. I need help. Oh, I'm pretty sharp, and I'm intelligent and financially secure or whatever. But, Lord, even in all that, I still haven't found that peace he talked about. And I really need help. Would you forgive me? Here's the good news. This book, he will forgive you. Right where you are, he'll forgive you. Now, it's not a pie crust promise prayer. Whew, good, now I'm going to heaven. No, now you've started a journey of following. You've laid some foundational faith of receiving God's Good news for you. Hey, church, what about us? We who have the guarantee, you know, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in us. We ready to go out of this place being bold witnesses, on fire for the Lord, willing to have gospel conversations, willing to listen that others might learn and we might learn. I got a pagan neighbor that lives near me. In our little subdivision, it's probably 20 or maybe 25 houses, in Crestview. I told him yesterday or the day before on our driveway, I said, you know, you're teaching me a lot about being a good neighbor. He said, really? I said, yeah. See, he started a little Facebook group in our subdivision and invited me to join. Oh, he made a mistake there, didn't he? I hope not. I hope he doesn't feel that way. But really and truly, you know what he did recently? He's got a big, giant boat, and it's beautiful, and they go fishing, catch big fish, and he posts pictures, and I celebrate with him. I love it. I, I don't want to go, but it's fine. He bought an ice maker recently, and, he, and it's in his uh, garage out there by his boat. And he said to everybody in our subdivision, hey, listen, I bought an ice maker. If you ever need crushed ice, if you're having an event at your house or you've got company coming over, or you're going on a camping trip, a fishing trip, a hunting trip or whatever, and you need some ice for your cooler, come by the house. I'll be glad to fix you up. 
He went out, he ordered from Amazon five pound and 10 pound, ba- or 10 pound and 20 pound bags, I think he told me. And he's already bagging up the ice, making ice and putting it in the freezer in his garage. I said to him, you kill me. You are teaching me so much about being a good neighbor. I said, do you know how many churches I know who have ice makers? Hundreds. And you better not be coming up here to go bass fishing and get the ice for your ice chest. You'll burn our, our ice maker up. Hey, good news. This just in. It's better for an ice maker to run and make ice than it is to store it. So all of you financial folks that are worried about the ice maker burning up, take a breath and get a vision for being a neighbor. Oh, my gosh, it's such a simple thing, isn't it? And yet, what's he done? He said, here's what I have. It's available to everybody in our little community there. That's the gospel. That's taking. That's how we ought to take the gospel out into our communities. God, help us do that. God help us be guilty of that, right? So I don't know where you are today. We're going to land. <laughs> but boy, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him today. I don't know if this is, I think his church extends invitations. We're going to extend one right now. And you say, what do you mean by extending the invitation? Well, sometimes people feel moved in a moment like this and say, you know what that prayer you prayed earlier about being a sinner? Yeah, that was me. And I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. I want to follow him. Is that you today? Church, will you pray?